Oh, well, thank you. Brimming. I tell you what, before I even say anything, I'm already a record breaker amongst you. Have a good look at me for a moment, because you will never see this. Um, you've never seen this before, and you may never see it again. Um, one of the things I was looking forward to um, about the chance to speak to you was I get to wear that fancy mic thing, you know? And uh, the sound guys get to find out how much that extends. <laughs> yeah? You are looking at the largest head that uh, the community church has ever seen. And so, the <laughs> it's so awesome that um, I don't have anything else other than this today. <laughs> so, uh, there we are. I hope the head's full of something anyway, because we want to, want to bless you this morning. And we're beginning this new series, The um, No Other King. And today, um, my title is... The King of Life. Okay, so shall we just uh, let's just ask the Holy Spirit to breathe on this. Father, we thank you for the power of your Spirit. We thank you for all that you bring to our lives. And today, we ask that you will move in this place, that you'll move in our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you've got Bibles or phones, how about Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16? For by him all things were created, that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. I want to talk about the fact that he is the king of life and the fact that everything that was created was created by him and for him. So Jesus is not only the agent of creation, he's also the goal of creation. It was made by him, it was made for him, and everything, powers, principalities, you name it, it was made for him. And the thing that is so important about Easter is that Jesus brings life. And he wants to bring life to our circumstances. He wants to bring eternal life. And the miracle of Easter, or one of the many miracles of Easter's, is the fact that he created all of this. But he submitted himself to the very creation that he made, allowed himself to be crucified, rose from the dead, solved the problem that man had created in the first place. Um, I, I, one of my favourite sermons I ever heard was somebody who said that what's written over the gates of heaven is the word come, the doors open. And uh, all of this is what we celebrate at Easter. It's the miracle of Easter, the miracle of life. And I was thinking about the possibility of unpacking a bit of this with you today and uh, talking about how he brings life to us. Now, as a there's probably as many different ways that God brings life into our situations as there are people that need it. But can I try a couple of these out on you today? 
Um, one of the first ways that God brings life into your situations is what I'd like to call green shoots. So just for the purpose of what I'm saying, if you could imagine that there's a circumstance in your life that is like a fallow field, okay? It's a ploughed field. There's nothing there. You start to pray, Lord Jesus, please move in this situation. Move in that circumstance. Move in my finance, whatever it is. And we begin to see little green shoots beginning to happen. We think, oh, that's great. And so once you see God move, it's easy to believe he's going to move some more, isn't it? And so we start to pray, Lord, please do a bit more. The green shoots grow. Excuse me. The green shoots grow. It gets better. It gets bigger. The faith grows. The thing grows. We end up with something. And I think, oh, that's fantastic. God has moved in my life. Now, I know that I'm new to some of you, so it's perhaps a little impertinent, but I'd like to suggest that um, this green shoots business is probably the one that we're most comfortable with. We like to see something happen, don't we? Uh, it's easier to believe when God's done something. If God's done one thing, we can believe that he'll do two things. If God's done a little bit, it's easier to believe he'll do a little bit more. And the more we pray, the more he seems to move, and we say, well, this is great. And we like to see God move, don't we? But uh, that's just one way, green shoots. And it's really important, and uh, it's great to see God moving. Um, something else that God does, uh, what I call the bread and fish miracles. Um, you know, it's deep stuff, isn't it, today? You can see where I'm going with this. Um, Matthew chapter 14, um, thousands and thousands of people have gathered, and I mean thousands. It, we always talk about 5,000, but it, the Bible says 5,000 men. And so, you know, if each man had someone with him and they had a kid with them, you're talking about 15, 20, uh, thousands and thousands of people. It's getting dark. The disciples say to Jesus, look, we need to send these people away. Um, We've got to send them back to the village so that they can buy food and get something to eat. And Jesus turns to them and says, they don't need to go anywhere. You give them something to eat. Said, we haven't got anything. They said, well, what have you got? And there it is. Five loaves and two fish. Well, you know the rest of the story, don't you? Um, Jesus does whatever he does with the five loaves and two fishes. Breathes life into the situation. Was it 12 baskets left over afterwards? I, tell you, I don't know about you, but that's my kind of miracle, isn't it? And you can see there's been not many meals missed over the years, so the idea that uh, there's plenty to eat is always... Uh, that was uh, actually one of the better things about... I don't know if you noticed, but your young people can cook and they can bake. Some of those cakes on... I tried to show a little restraint, but uh, <laughs> that salted caramel thing was... Uh, the, the young people baked for us on... Uh, Friday night. It was really quite an experience. But this is the way that God moves in our lives. And I love this. I love to see this, where God takes the little that we have and breathes life on it. The King of Life comes into our meagre resources and, and does something with it. Um, it's, it's a, you can do a Bible study on this. Um, you'll see lots of occasions in Scripture where you know, people think, I haven't got anything. And God says, Open your hand. What's in your hand? That's what preaching's all about, isn't it? We take the little bit that we've got and we say, well, Lord, breathe on it. Um, 
Do you, do you like the idea of being anointed by the Holy Spirit? If you have a little look at what the word anointing means in the Hebrew language, the original language of the Old Testament, the word anointing comes from a root word which means to make up for what is lacking. So when we talk about God anointing us, it's not just about him plugging us into the main power supply. That, that comes to it. But basically when God anoints somebody for whatever they're doing, he's making up for what's lacking. So you, you need to speak to somebody at work about Jesus. You know, I don't know what to say. Well, then you need an anointing because God wants to make up for what's lacking. You open your mouth, he'll give you something to say that you never would have imagined. It's what church is all about, isn't it? We come with what we've got and we say, well, Lord, here's the loaves, here's the fishes. Breathe on it, king of life. Do something. And I like bread and fish miracles. I like the idea that whatever we've got, God can do something with it. Um, one of the first uh, occasions I really learnt this was I was at Bible school, and um, years ago I'd been a Christian for just a couple of years, and I didn't have any money. And, I mean, I didn't have anything. I had about pound fifty in my pocket, and that was it. That's all the money I had in the world. And we needed books, and I remember praying. And I said, Lord, literally, I've got no money. Um, you've got to help me. And as I was walking through Euston Station, there was a homeless person, and God says, give them, give them some money. I said, I haven't got any money. You've got pound fifty in your pocket. <laughs> and I didn't mind at all. I thought, well, when you're this skin, it really does. It's like when you're wet without an umbrella. You can only get so wet, can't you? And I, thought, I can only get so skin. So I gave him the money. And when I got back to my room at Bible College, there was three envelopes pushed under the door. Um, in 1987, uh, £200 bought you a lot of theology books and uh, um, that's, that's for me you could say it's a coincidence I don't think so I think I got myself a bread and fish miracle there um, I gave what I had to God and I was happy to do it it wasn't a big sacrifice but we found this over the years that if we will just open our hand God can use what we've got God hates closed hearts closed minds closed hands and no use to him you know, and this is the thing. Sometimes um, we find that uh, the little that we have is not little in the economy of God. And so we talk about bread and fish miracles. That, that wouldn't make a bad sermon on its own, would it? A bread and fish sermon. But that's not really the heart of what I wanted to say today. Um, if you read about the king of life, creating. We, we sung the song based on the Apostles' Creed. Ollie talked about reciting the Apostles' Creed in church um, back in the day. It's one of the first things the Bible tells us about God, Genesis. In the beginning, God. A few weeks ago, Peter spoke about the word of God. He talked about the authority of the word of God, and he talked about the fact that God speaks and things happen. God says, let there be, and there it was. Let there be light, we get light. That's the power of God's word. That's, he is the king of life because literally he just needs to speak. And I like this um, from Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. And one of the first aspects of faith is to believe this. By faith, we understand that worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. 
I hope I haven't lost your attention already, but if I have, come back for just a second, because this is something that could change your life. If you embrace this, this could change you. I've talked about green shoots. We've talked about bread and fish. But there are certain situations and certain times, certain things, certain dreams, where there are no green shoots. There is no bread and fish. You open your hand, and there really is nothing there. It says here in Hebrews 11 that the things that are visible are created by the king of life out of things that don't exist. And the scholars, the theologians, the clever people have come up with this lovely Latin phrase. It's, you've had an hour less sleep, it's pouring down with rain, and now we're going to talk about Latin. It doesn't get any better than that, people, but uh, just bear with me for a moment, okay? Because this is good stuff. And uh, even if you don't like it, I've enjoyed this week just pondering this once again. Now, for about 26 years, I thought this was pronounced creatio ex nihilo. Then I began to learn Italian, and I realised that it's nothing of the sort. Creatio ex nihilo. But I've been saying it wrong for so long that I just keep lapsing into it. So what I'm saying is true, but I'm saying it wrong. Is that okay? Yeah? So I'm going to say ex nihilo, and you don't even care yet, but you will in just a moment, I promise you. Creatio ex nihilo, it means creation out of nothing. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. You think, I don't care. Well, you will, and you should, because here's the deal. God doesn't need raw materials to do a miracle in your life. God doesn't need you to open your hands and have anything there to do miracles. God didn't need anything to create the world and to create us. He didn't need a thing. He creates out of nothing. He's not just the author of life in the sense that he manipulates and deals with life. He's not just the prime minister of life. He's the king of life. He speaks and life happens. It's that simple. Creatio ex nihilo, out of nothing. And this is what I want to say to you today. I truly believe this. Well, I don't even have to believe it. It's just such an obvious thing that I know it to be true. You represent situations and people and circumstances and factors that are absolutely hopeless and beyond any chance of anything good ever happening. You've prayed about it, you've believed, you've thought about it, and nothing has happened. It's just impossible. But God is able to create something out of nothing. There is no such thing as a hopeless situation for a Christian because God can create something out of nothing. You say, but you don't understand. Well, I don't have to understand because God can create out of nothing. You can't get any poorer than nothing. You can't get any more desperate than nothing. And some of you have got family situations where it is desolate. There's just nothing there. And you think, there's no chance of anything good ever happening again. But I'm here to tell you today, quite honestly, that you need to open some of these cases up again and to believe God for an ex nihilo miracle. And I believe God wants to do ex nihilo miracles in our lives. He wants to do things 
out of nothing. And it's not just bad stuff that he wants to fix. You know, it could be that you have a dream that is way beyond your resources. It could be that there's something you've always wanted, and there's just no human chance of it happening. Well, what's the harm in asking for an ex nihilo miracle? You know, how many times have you noticed in the Bible that God struck somebody dead for having too much faith? You know, <laughs> impertinence in the presence of God is not a sin. Asking God for too much is never something. God says, how dare you? I deal in small ambitions here in heaven. It's, 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 when you say it, it sounds sarcastic and ridiculous. But that's how some of us live our lives. You know, I can't ask for that. Somebody was talking to me the other day about um, all their friends. Where I spend a lot of my ministry, people, there's very poor people and very rich people. And they all seem to have holiday homes in the same part of Marbella. And... Um, Mm. No, it's perfectly true. In fact, I was, it was a lovely opportunity. The um, family actually flew me out to Marbella in November. Um, I literally spent 26 hours in Marbella, in Porta Banus. We were asked to do a funeral for people that we know, and um, 400 people in the church, and there wasn't a single Spanish person there. It really was quite, a, quite an experience. And this person said to me, they, they are actually a believer, and they said, we, we'd love to have a place out there with everybody, but... It's impossible. I said, well, have you prayed about it? And she was quite horrified. You're supposed to pray about having cancer or about kids misbehaving at school or about missionaries or Ukraine or, you know. So what's wrong with saying, Lord, we'd like a holiday home in Spain, please? Well, what's the worst that can happen? But why can't God do an ex nihilo miracle in something that's nice? We're always wired as Christians if God says if I started to prophesy now and said God wants to deal with your sin you probably oh yeah that sounds like God but if I said you <laughs> God wants to bless you and actually wants to double your salary you know, people we're much easier to believe that God's sort of God's default position is to be slightly annoyed with us or slightly disappointed with us and if he speaks to us he's going to be sucking through his teeth for something that we've been dreading and here it comes come on Lord I'm ready for it but I believe that God the king of life, is wanting to do good things in our life as well. And not just in our lives, but here in the community church. Um, it was lovely to have, he's gone, it was lovely to have Tom's expectations doubled and exceeded. And I've just been upstairs, we were having a time of prayer in the new Rev room and it's nice to have a bit more space and who needs corridors when you can have bigger Rev rooms and uh, but I'd like to know what kind of church you want to be part of. It's quite an interesting thought of what kind of leaders do we want to be led by? What kind of department leaders do we want to be guided by? What kind of people do we want to be? Because sometimes in church, people who are extremely cautious get described as wise. You know, over the years, I've, I've worked and ministered in lots of churches, and in leadership meetings, there's always somebody that sits quietly while everybody else is saying, wouldn't it be great to do this? Wouldn't it be great to do that? There'll be somebody who sits there, and at the end, they'll go, I'd be careful if I was you. And it always seems wise. Do you know what I mean? It always seems like, oh, yeah, they're very thoughtful. We never say, you are bound up in unbelief, my dear, and you need to get set free. We always think, oh, yes, 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 yes. 
And listen, as Christians, we are called to weigh things in the light of Scripture, to make sure that what's being suggested is actually biblical, to see if it actually sits with us in our spirit. But as a people, it would be lovely if we were easy to lead. It would be lovely if we were fertile soil, where our leaders felt free to stand up here and to say something utterly ridiculous to us that's impossible, that can't be paid for, um, that is, is ridiculously ambitious, that it's, it's crazy. No one's ever done that before. Wouldn't it be great if we were the sort of people that our instinct was to say, go for it, come on, we're right behind you, you know? This is the kind of thing that, that I think pleases God. And in fact, the chapter on faith begins with that um, proposition that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I would love it if God was looking at the, the Bishop Stortford area today and he said, I like these community church people. They're easy to talk to. They always listen to me. They always believe what I say. And they always believe me when I tell them I'm going to do something impossible. These people are easy for me to bless. You know, God loves every Christian and every church. But the beginning of the book of Revelation suggests to us that he doesn't like some of them very much. Um, <laughs> have you read it? Um, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth because you are neither hot nor cold. You have lost your first love or you have left your first love. Do you know one of the most frightening ones? Some of you know, what I'm, you know the passage. I'm about to remove your lampstand. You know? now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. But they have moved so far from what he really wants a church to be that he just doesn't like them very much. And it would be great if God says, oh, good, they're meeting this morning. Oh, they're praying. Excellent. Because when they pray, they actually believe what they're asking for. Um, we need to open the understanding of our hearts and minds a little bit more and say, look, God is truly in the business of creating ex nihilo miracles, something out of nothing. Um, I, I want to see this because I've been stand, I'll be very honest, nothing worse than somebody preaching and being honest with you, but I, <laughs> I have stood in churches for so many years. I, I was born again in 1984, and I've stood in some amazing meetings. I've, I've been part of some of them. And I, but I just, I've got, so about 10 years ago, I got so bored with people saying, isn't it awesome? And I'm just like, no, it's not. It's just Sunday. It feels the same as last week. It, so perhaps I'm doing something wrong, but, and, and nobody's got the nerve to say, well, nothing's really happening, but it doesn't, I mean, and it doesn't matter. N not every week does everything need to happen, but I think one day before I go home to glory, I'd actually like to be part of a revival. I'd actually like to see the stuff that I believe in actually happening. I, I'd like to see some of the stuff I've been preaching about for years actually happen. Now, we've seen some of it. We've seen some bread and fish miracles. We've seen some green shoots miracles. I've even seen some ex Nihilo miracles. But I don't know if I'm depressing you by suggesting that we haven't seen as many as we should do. And actually, there aren't as many testimonies, are there, of God doing something impossible, of God rescuing something unrescuable. Um, and I wonder why. Um, I think some of it's to do with fear, if I may say so. Um, 
my, some of my, two of my brothers have got much younger children, and um, one of my nieces is 12, and she is a tremendous character, and she's certainly a joy to us. And now and again, I, I have the pleasure of getting a, a WhatsApp message from her, and she'll send me a picture she's painted, or she's very good, or she'll tell me something they've done, they've been somewhere with a school, or their mum and dad have just booked a holiday, um, Sometimes I even paid for those. Um, but I, I get a, guess what? We're going, you know, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. And uh, I love to hear from her. But uh, last week she sent me this. Now, I probably realised that I'm completely out of touch with what normal young teenagers... I've not been around young teenagers for a very long time. So maybe some of you have even seen this that I'm about to show you. But I got, by accident, by my niece, included in a conversation that her friends were having. And... She sent me this, and the idea is, they're, they're little jam jars, and underneath each jam jar is written a fear, okay? And you know in Tesco's or Waitrose, when you buy something, you get one of those little round tokens, and you have to put in which shower. Well, the idea was, these young people had a token, and they had to put the tokens in the jars of fear that they were afraid of. Now, when someone who's 56 finds a 12-year-old depressing and boring, you... I, what is going on? Um, <laughs> I don't know when young people got so depressed. I don't know if you can read this, but a couple of my f- favourites, a couple of the ones I noticed of the fears are small spaces, heights, spiders, of course, public speaking, um, <laughs> growing older, uh, snakes, clowns, I know. Um, but one of them says dying alone. I thought, who at the age of 12 thinks about it? I'm, I listen, I'm not trying to make light of it. These are real things. But I phoned my brother and said, you've got to tell that weird kid of yours to stop sending me depressing stuff. <laughs> you know, cause I'm, I'm preaching this week. I'm trying to keep, my, um, I keep, keep <laughs> trying to keep myself together. But it seems to me that there's almost everything there that a person could be afraid of. And yet the fear that I wanted to just suggest to you today that is perhaps a reason why we don't see more ex nihilo miracles is this terrible one. Um, Oh, yeah, that's an old favourite. The devil has used this to great effect. Um, I can confess to you freely that I know personally how galling an experience it is to have disappointment, Um, to pray for something, to really want it, And it just didn't happen. It just wasn't right. Um, That's tough. But um, that's no no news to you, is it? Anyone over the age of about 10 will experience disappointment in their life. It is part of life. And sometimes it can be avoided. Sometimes it can't. But disappointment, isn't it the most horrible um, experience to go through? And it's so horrible that sometimes the fear of disappointment can paralyse us, and it can paralyse your faith. And this is the verse I was thinking of. Um, this is the first half of the verse. Proverbs thirteen twelve: Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's a pretty good description of disappointment. You literally feel sick at heart. And sometimes we face a situation where an ex nihilo miracle is needed. And we say... It would be great if God could move in that situation, but I just haven't got the energy to start to believe and to hope. I, I just can't bear it if this doesn't happen. 
What if it doesn't happen? You know, sometimes when we're giving talks about sort of things like healing, people say, well, what if you pray for someone and they don't get healed? But what if you pray for them and they do, you know? And, and I think, well, okay, disappointment is a possibility. But is this really how we want to live our lives, that we're going to shrink the economy of God to such a level that we're never disappointed? Was it George Bernard Shaw that said, blessed is he who expects nothing? for he's never disappointed. Is that really how we're going to run Christianity in the 21st century, that we're going to run it so small, we're going to have such tiny visions that, that we, we could do them without God anyway? Is that, is that really what we're here for? I don't think so. Um, is that what the day of Pentecost is all about? You shall receive power so that you can do things that you could have done anyway. Um, <laughs> you, can, you can believe things that don't take much believing. The fear of disappointment is perfectly understandable, but to be bound up by the fear of disappointment is unacceptable. Um, and this is how it goes. Christians don't have these problems. You know, we, you know, we, ne we never dislike someone, do we? we no, I, I don't have any problem with them, but. Yeah? No, I have forgiven them, but. You know? And we just never admit to what we're really, what's really going on in our hearts. And, uh, you know, we would never say, listen, God, I utterly reject the idea that you could move in that situation. I am stopping praying about it. It's not what happens. We still pray about it. But we said, oh, God, I just hand you this situation. Or, and, and what we do is we just take it. And instead of exercising our faith towards it, we just put it over there. Nice if something happens, but... You know, sometimes it's just too painful to talk about or to pray about. But Easter is about resurrection. It's about things that were dead coming back to life again. And there are circumstances and situations that you need an ex nihilo miracle to happen in, and you've stopped asking. And if you're still asking, you've certainly stopped believing. And it's time to believe again. It's time to believe that the basic tenet, one of the first things that God ever says about himself is that he creates out of nothing. And in your family, in your finance, in your circumstances, God wants to do something brand new, something more wonderful, something more incredible. He doesn't want to shine it up. He wants to do something new in your life. Now, I'd like to finish by just taking the liberty of changing the title that I was given. I hope you won't mind. I've been asked to talk about the king of life, but I'd like to suggest that... What he really wants to be at the moment is the king of your life. Okay? And sometimes when we listen to ourselves pray, somebody from another planet who didn't know about Christianity might think that God was our personal assistant and that in prayer he's getting our, his instructions from the day. You know, uh, God, we'd like you to do this. We need you to please don't forget that. And then could you do this? And, can, and uh, listen, I believe in a list. No problem with a list at all. But... It doesn't do us any harm to remember that actually he is Lord. Um, and the, the way that we relate to God is as father, as friend. Um, but listen, God is not just your life coach or your therapist. He actually wants to be king of your life. And you'll never be truly happy if he isn't king of your life. If you've already given your life to Jesus and you've asked him to come in and be Lord, then let him do his job. Let him be king of your life. If you don't, you'll never be truly happy. You're, somebody described it as trying to eat a toffee with the paper on. You know, you'll taste the toffee, but it really isn't. It's not the way it's meant to be. And I'd like to say at the very conclusion that some of you have been with us for a little while. And 
you like it here, and we're glad that you do. You feel fairly comfortable. You like the music. You like the preaching. You like the. You believe in God, but you've never made the step to make Him King of your life. It's time. It's time. It really is, and it would be remiss of us to let you think that the sum total of what God wants for you is just to come to church and quite enjoy it. He wants to come into your life. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants to give you new life. He wants you to be born again. And he wants to rule in your life, not as some controlling, dominating influence, but as somebody who genuinely knows what's best for you and can make your life better and more incredible than you ever dreamed it could be. And I know it's tough because it's embarrassing for you to think about these things, some of you, but it's time to give your life to Christ. It's time to make the king of life, king of your life. Jesus said that I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Father, we pray for abundant life today. We thank you that you're the king of life. We thank you that here in this place, people needing ex nihilo miracles, it's their day to say, yes, Lord. I believe. Help my unbelief. I choose to put aside the disappointments of the past. I choose to believe that that which is too painful to talk about, that you can do something. And I choose to dream again. And I choose to believe. Help us. Help us. Help us. As we stay in this, atti this attitude of prayer, we, we all our timings were shifted forward a little bit today, so I think time is probably gone, but let's just remain in an attitude of prayer for a moment. I'm going to ask Ollie to come back and, um, yeah, okay. Wow, told you it was brimming, didn't I? Yeah, let's... Why don't you say these words with me? If, um, if you've said them a hundred times before, great. If you've never said them before, as, uh, as Derek said, it's time. Jesus, we thank you that you died for us. Jesus, I recognize personally that my actions, my sin, my rejection of you separated me from you. And I thank you, Jesus, that what you did on the cross is enough to take that sin away from me and to bring me back into your family. And Jesus, I choose today to accept that gift that you're offering to me. I want to make you the king of my life. I want to believe you for the things that you say are true. You get to decide what's true in my life. 